Amen and amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 14. You'll find that on page 851 in the Bibles that we have here for you in the pew, and we'll have those verses on the screen uh, as well. Uh, I have had the privilege of traveling to Singapore a couple of times to preach and to teach there, and uh, there is a megachurch pastor in Singapore that you may now have heard of because he is really uh, becoming kind of known worldwide. His name is Joseph Prince. Now, I've never met him and probably never will meet him, but uh, 33,000 people attend his church on uh, every single Sunday morning. And he came to the United States. You may have seen this recently. He came uh, to promote a new book, which is Eat Your Way to Life and Health, Unlock the Power of Holy Communion. And Joseph Prince has started in the last year or so, he has started taking the Lord's Supper every single day. Uh, Not once a quarter, not once a week, but every single day he takes the Lord's Supper. And the reason he does so, as is spelled out in this book, is that he believes that the divine healing that God won for us on the cross is available easily to us, and one of the means that He gives that to us is the Lord's Supper. In fact, He, he really does believe that God has set Him on a mission uh, to, to tell the world about the physically healing powers of the Lord's Supper. And He goes on to say that I want everybody to know that God wants them to be physically well and whole. And then he goes on in his book to say that he really sees the Lord's Supper as the proverbial fountain of youth that people have been looking for for generations. And then in his book, he, he sees this, this sacrament that we take as the means to health. And he describes it as more important even than doctors or medicine in terms of what we need for physical health. In his book, he describes a number of people he believes have been physically healed by taking the Lord's Supper on a very regular basis, typically on a daily basis. Now, um, let's think about that for a minute. Could God heal somebody as they come to the Lord's table looking for Christ, who is here. Uh, Yes, God can do that. Typically what we see, though, when we see miraculous healing is that it comes through prayer, as you see in James chapter 5. And I don't pretend to know Joseph Prince's heart. I I, I do not know him, don't know his heart. But when I read the way he now preaches and teaches about the Lord's Supper, uh, it strikes me as as a magical view of the Lord's Supper rather than a biblical view of the Lord's Supper. Now, I I say that, though, to say there's another extreme sometimes that we go to uh, in the church, and I mean the church at Broad, and, and that is that we have reduced the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to something that is a mere memorial. And, and so we see it as simply a way to remember the death of Christ. And, and here's what I want to say that's not biblical either. That's not enough. Uh, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to experience in a few minutes, is, is something that is so incredibly rich. 
that we couldn't begin to exhaust what is here in, in, in a year-long sermon series. And, and what I want to show you, though, today is that somewhere between these two extremes of a, a magical view and a, a bare kind of remembrance uh, there is a biblical understanding that, quite frankly, is, is wonderful and exciting and, and, and very moving to me. And I've been really encouraged this past week as I've had the opportunity to read again uh, so much about the Lord's Supper. And here's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at Christ in the Last Supper that He has with His disciples where he establishes the practice of receiving communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. There are a number of good names for it, communion, a number of biblical terms for it. He established this as a practice for the church on an ongoing basis. And what I hope uh, to show you is, is again, a, a glimpse of the beauty and the richness of this sacrament God has given to us. Let's read there, chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And as they were eating, now this is the Last Supper, Jesus has gathered with his disciples. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Lord, um, we need to understand more of what you are giving to us, what you are doing in us and through us and for us in the Lord's Supper. And so, Lord, help us to see this. You didn't just instruct us to do this for some very minor reason. It is one of the two great sacraments you have given to your church to be practiced as long as we are here on this earth. And so bless the reading of this word and bless this preacher as he tries to speak in his own feeble words to share what your word has for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've, I've said this to you before, probably, as we were going to the table a time or two, but there was a time when I was a really young Christian uh, that I didn't have a great view of the Lord's Supper, and, and so uh, to me, it was just kind of something we did at the end of the worship service once a month or once a quarter, whenever it was, and, and uh, it just kind of extended. It made the, you know, it kept me at church longer. You know, it just kind of extended the worship service. And so, uh, for a number of years, before I really had, had the opportunity to look through Scripture to understand uh, what is here, I didn't really think much of the Lord's Supper. Now, since then, though, I, I've, I've had the wonderful privilege of, of spending time, of course, looking at what God gives to us in the Lord's Supper. And, and there is a beauty and a richness to this practice that I, I think we miss oftentimes. There's really nothing quite like it in all of the ministry of the church. And so here's what I hope for this morning. And I, I know it's a challenge, and I know the Spirit has to do this through His Word. I, I can't make you excited, but here's what I want. When you come to the Lord's table at the end of our service, I want you to be hungry for Christ, because He's here, and He awaits you to give you Himself and all you need for life and for 
godliness. I, I hope you will perhaps get more out of this experience today than you ever thought possible. And so what I want to do, just briefly, is to break down the, the Lord's Supper by looking at, a, at it through the past, the present, and the future. It's very simple, but there's a lot here, and we're just going to scratch the surface, but let's go to the past. Verse 22, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, this is my body. And then in Luke's account of the same event, he adds the words, do this in remembrance of me. And so, uh, the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Uh, Remember, I said a moment ago, it's not just a memorial, but it is a memorial. We do look back in remembrance at what Jesus Christ has done for us. There is a past aspect. Uh, we, we especially focus oftentimes on, on the way Christ, through his life and his death, gave himself for us in such a way as to reconcile ones who were enemies to God. He brings us to himself. He reconciles us to God by his death on the cross. But what I want to do today at the very beginning is kind of put this table together with that reconciliation in a way that I hope will give you a better appreciation for what we're doing when we come to this table. And to do that, we've got to go back to the Old Testament. You know, sadly, there are preachers today saying that we don't need the Old Testament. If we don't have the Old Testament, we don't really understand the New Testament. They go together. We need both. And so I want to take us back there. Because there, what you see is sharing a meal with God was a big deal. The privilege of sharing a meal with God was was a tremendous opportunity. Now, I want you to think about it this way, though, before we actually go there. If you've had uh, maybe an argument with a friend, uh, you need to be reconciled. You know, you've kind of become enemies in that moment, so you need to be reconciled. And if that reconciliation then occurs, and it's a real reconciliation, not just a a superficial one, but there's deep and real reconciliation uh, between the two of you, then what do you do after you've reconciled? Oftentimes, you'll have him over for dinner. There's something beautiful about sharing a meal together between two friends, especially after reconciliation has taken place. And one of the best examples of that that you see in the Old Testament, there are many, but in Genesis chapter 31, you've got a man named Jacob and his father-in-law named Laban, and they have become something of enemies to each other. Jacob is is pretty afraid of his father-in-law, Laban, and Laban is really angry with his son, Jacob. And so you see his son-in-law. So you see in this chapter, they really get after each other. There's a heated argument. But at the end, there is this beautiful reconciliation. And then they share a meal together to kind of say, you know, we are reconciled and there's more going on here than enemies. We have now become friends again. 
You know, throughout the Old Testament, what you see with God is that he shares a meal oftentimes with those who are now reconciled to him. Genesis 9, you see, after the flood, God prepares a meal for Noah and his family. Exodus 12, after God redeems the children of Israel from Egypt, he he gives to them the Passover meal, which of course is the forerunner to our Lord's Supper, our communion. And then in Exodus 24, there's this beautiful picture of God calling the 70 elders of Israel up to the mountain to eat and to drink with him. And so there's this beautiful, long, rich history of God inviting those who were once enemies but now reconciled to dinner. He shares a meal with us. And here's where I'm going with this. The fall has made all of us enemies of God. All of us in need of reconciliation. But God, through Christ, seeks reconciliation with us. And that reconciliation, because of the cross, is so deep and so real and so complete that he invites us to come and to share a meal with him. The Lord's Supper. And so that's why when we come to the Lord's Supper. We're coming to dinner. We're coming to his table. We're coming to share a meal uh, with God himself because he has made us friends. And so we do look to the past. Today, when you come, look to the past. Remember what Christ has done for you to make you his friend so that you can then come and share a meal with the living God. Christ is here, and he has made you worthy to sit at his table And he waits here for you to join him. Look to the past, but also then look to the present. The eating of the bread, which Jesus calls his body, and the drinking of the cup, which Jesus calls his blood of the covenant, is what we're doing when we come to the table. Eating the bread, drinking the cup, the blood of his covenant. And, and here's where it gets kind of difficult for us because it's very hard for us, I think, to grasp a good bit of what is really going on here. And some of the language, quite frankly, makes us a bit uncomfortable. So first, what I want you to see is that, as I've already said a couple of times, one of the things we have to understand is that Jesus is here at his table. It is his table. He has set the table. He presides over the table. Now, is he here physically? No. He remains at the right hand of the majesty on high. And as John Calvin wonderfully put it, we don't drag him out of heaven to the table. But the Holy Spirit, whose ministry it is, whose primary ministry it is to bring Christ to us, does that as we come by faith to this table and eat the bread and drink the cup. And so what And this is where it really gets difficult, but this is where we've got to at least understand a bit of what we're doing. We come, Jesus is here, and we come to feed on him. Now that sounds a bit odd to our ears, but I want you to listen to the words in John 6. These are from Christ himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and the bread that I will give 
for the life of the world is my flesh. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Explain those words. Those are tough to explain. There's mystery here. And, and, and does this mean that we physically eat the body and physically drink or drink the physical blood of Jesus? No, we physically eat, but we're not eating the literal physical body of Jesus or drinking his physical blood, but we are feeding on Christ. And, and this is what, at least in part, again, there's so much mystery here. But there's a connection between what we do when we eat and drink and with what Christ does in us and through us at the table. Again, as we come by faith, we feed on Christ. And so what, what this means is this. We feed on Christ. Christ nourishes our souls. We eat the bread. We drink the cup. We feed on Christ, which really means we abide in Christ as we've seen. It's kind of taking more, as it were, of Christ, perhaps, or experiencing more of Christ. We commune with Christ. There's something really going on here at the table that may not happen that way in any other occasion. And so what happens then is as we come and feed on Christ, he nourishes our souls because he gives himself to us through the table. Now, yes, he gives himself to us through the word, but there's something unique going on here at the table. It is the table he has set, and he says, come, feed on me. I am your salvation. Come, enjoy me. Find in me what you need, what you cannot find any other place. And, and so here's what we do. When, when we come to the table at the end of the day, here's what I hope will be the case. What do we need to bring? Our hunger, our appetite. We need to come to the table wanting Christ and, and wanting his benefits. It, it is perfectly appropriate to come looking. In fact, it is right for us to come looking to him to give us what we cannot give ourselves. And so, so let me just kind of break that down and give you a few examples. If today you are lonely and you are wishing, just give me, God, would you just give me one friend? Well, at the table, you come to this table, and you will find the one friend who gives his life for his friends. There is no friend like the friend who stands at this table waiting for you to come and to join him and to be his friend. And if you're stuck this morning in guilt or in shame, come to this table looking to him as your Savior, and there you will find the one who says, look, I've got this. I, I died on a cross for your guilt and your shame. I took it all on me. I've got this. Leave it with me. And, and if today you just wonder, does God love me at all? I mean, you, you need, you're lacking assurance of that. Uh, then come to the table and, and see the one who ultimately is serving you as the one who has nail-scarred hands because he does love you. And if today you're thinking, well, I've just done so much in my life. I wonder if God can ever love me or ever use me. And then come to this table as the one whose steadfast love never diminishes for you. The one who says, look up at the cross. Look in my eyes. I created you to make a difference in this world. I am not going to give up on you. I will use you. Come to the table.
and find in me what your soul longs for and what you can find nowhere else. Everything you need for life and for godliness is at this table because Christ is here at the table through His Spirit wanting to meet with you, wanting to give you what you cannot possibly give yourself. So come and feed on Christ. He will give you Himself. That's the present aspect. There's a past. There's a present. Let's look to the future. Verse 25, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, this is where, see, this meal is connected to a meal that we will participate with in the future when Christ returns. And that is the, the wedding supper of the Lamb that you see in Revelation 19. And I don't know if there's anything to look forward to that is going to be more full of joy than that. Remember, Christ is the bridegroom and we are His bride. And as we come and we eat and we drink, the Lord's Supper points us forward to this greater banquet that is to come. And in a real sense, I mean, this is kind of the beginnings of that the forerunner, at the very least, of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, again, we're not in Jesus' day, and so things are a bit different. So let me take you back there and help you understand a little bit more of the beauty of what, of what is here. Uh, in Christ's day, if a young man wanted to get married, he would get engaged, assuming the young woman said yes. He would get engaged, and oftentimes there would be a year between the time he got engaged in the time he actually got married. And in that year, long time, oftentimes he would be spending his time preparing for his bride-to-be. He would be oftentimes adding on a room to his father's house where he and his wife would eventually live. And so the father, when he finally says to his son, it seems to me your preparations are ready, then the father gives permission to the son to go get his bride, to go fetch his bride. And she may live across the village. And so the, the bridegroom gathers his groomsmen with him. And they celebrate all the way to the bridesmaid's house with music and laughter and joy. And it's this wonderful celebration that everybody in the village would know about because they knew the day was coming. And now it has arrived. They reach the house. There is the, the bridesmaid with her uh, the, the bride and with her bridesmaids, they're, they're ready and, and they carry uh, the bride back to the father's house. And of course, the party has now doubled and people in the village have gathered and, the, and, and so the singing is louder, the joy is greater and, and they get there and then the, uh, there's an, an official ceremony marrying the two, the marriage is consummated and then there is the wedding supper of this marriage, of this husband and wife, and that may go on for days. It was an incredible, wonderful feast. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the bridegroom coming for his bride, for me and for you, to take us to the wedding feast where we will celebrate with him. And the beauty of that, I, so many people have said this in different ways, but the beauty of this is that when you and I attend the wedding supper of the Lamb, uh, we won't be guests. We'll be the bride. You know, we'll sit at the head table with our Savior, 
who is our husband. In the meantime, as we come to the Lord's Supper, as we eat and we drink, we look forward to that greater banquet which is ahead. And we only eat little bits of bread, drink little bits of wine, because we know that fellowship with Christ in glory is so much better than what we taste today. But this says, look forward to that day. I am coming for my bride, and we will celebrate together. When you come to this table this morning, look to the past. Remember the price Christ has paid to reconcile you to God. No one has ever paid a more expensive bride price. But don't, don't forget the present. Come by faith, eat and drink in faith, hungry for Christ himself. Find in him what it is your heart longs for. And then look to the future, to the greatest joy we will ever know when we finally see Christ face to face, when we experience what awaits us because our bridegroom has prepared a place for us at his table. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, thank you for this table. Thank you for this sacrament. Lord, make us hungry for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.